Jenna Ellis in the morning on American Family Radio. One of the president's ride-or-die defenders is legal advisor Jenna Ellis. It's such a political prosecution and a political persecution. Quote. This, to me, is a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's revisionist originalism. Tolerance just isn't a two-way street with the Democrats. And I think that tells you all we need to know. Newsmax contributor and former legal counsel to President Trump. Jenna Ellis. Good morning and happy next day of indictment watch to all of the uh, Democrats and leftists and and Trump haters that have been celebrating, uh, as my producer Tevin reminded me today, since about 2015 or when uh, President Trump first got into the political arena. They have been waiting and waiting and waiting for the moment that somebody gets Trump. Because the walls are closing in. So what's going on and why uh, did the DA unexpectedly uh, announce yesterday that the grand jury did not begin their deliberations and uh, nothing happened yesterday? Are they waiting for more witnesses? Uh, What exactly is going on? Well, here to weigh in with uh, his always brilliant opinions is my good friend Alan Dershowitz, who, of course, was a, a former professor at Harvard Law. And Alan, good morning. And uh, your thoughts first overall on this in this entire indictment farce and the tenuous legal case behind Alan Bragg. Well, I wrote a book called Get Trump, um, in which I went through all the ac- accusations against him and found none of them to be uh, meritorious. In fact, the name of the book, Get Trump, is based on the uh, campaign promise of the attorney general of New York who ran for office on the promise that if I get elected, I will get Trump. Uh, The district attorney also ran on a similar platform. So this is a targeted injustice. This is an attempt to create a crime, to manufacture a crime against somebody who's already been targeted. And that's not the American way of doing justice. And so I think all Americans, Democrats or Republicans, I'm a liberal Democrat. I voted against Trump twice plan to vote against them a third time, but I care deeply about principles of the Constitution, and those principles demand that this investigation stop now. Uh, First, it violates the statute of limitations, which is two years for a misdemeanor, five years for a felony. All these things happened six or seven years ago. Second, there's no crime here. Uh, What happened is it was a settlement of a potential lawsuit by somebody who was extorting uh, Donald Trump, and to turn that into a state felony after federal authorities refused to prosecute and the previous district attorney refused to prosecute uh, prosecute is is clearly uh, an instance of of uh, miscarriage of justice and so i hope i hope this grand jury has the courage that very few grand juries ever have had and that is to stand up to the prosecutor and say no no we're an independent body you're not going to tell us what to do we've looked at the evidence so there's no case here And I'm talking with Alan Dershowitz, and uh, this is one of the reasons that I so deeply respect you, because although um, you and I disagree uh, fundamentally on a lot of issues of politics, um, a lot of issues of policy, uh, we do agree that principle matters and that due process matters, constitutional protections matter, the rule of law matters, and I wish that more people, frankly, on both sides would be so principled. And uh, I wish that your fellow Democrats would show that same uh, support for actual due process in the rule of law, and even some you know, Republicans who would love to get their political opponents as well. Um, so what do you think is going on in the grand jury and why we haven't seen uh, deliberations yet as the, the news was expecting yesterday? First of all, the district attorney himself has to have second thoughts here. He's heard from Bob Costello, who was Cohen's lawyer saying, you can't believe that guy. He's told us exactly the opposite. And so District Attorney Bragg has to ask himself, am I really going to put Cohen on the witness stand in a trial? Am I going to vouch for this guy's credibility as a district attorney must do before he puts a witness on? So I think there's some self-doubt by Bragg. I hope there is. And then probably by some staff members in his office. It's a very distinguished office. It used to be headed by very, very prominent people, Robert Morgenthau and Frank Hogan. 
and it has a tradition. And you would think that some people in the office would not want to see that tradition uh, politicized. Uh, they may be calling more witnesses, but they're probably going to try to make the case without using Cohen. That would be the smart thing to do, because Cohen will be a gift to uh, Trump's legal team. Uh, they would be able to tear him apart and hurt the credibility of the prosecution if that happens. Um, I go over all of these factors in, in my book, Get Trump, and um, I go over all four of the cases against him and find nothing criminal. Look, I don't agree with his speech on January 6th. I don't like the fact that he had classified material, uh, and I don't like the fact that he may have had an affair with a um, a, a porn star. Uh, the, those, those are not things that uh, are part of my value system. On the other hand, none of them are criminal. And you have to draw a sharp line between what you don't like and what the criminal law allows you to prosecute. And uh, these facts don't meet those standards. So, Alan Dershowitz, let's also talk about then if this is so uh, politically motivated and the attorney general and district attorney of New York actually have run openly on the fact that they want to get Trump. Uh, Why has there not been a coordinated effort to fight back on that front? There is a rule of professional responsibility that governs prosecutors in every state. There is a a bar licensure process of discipline that, of course, has been weaponized against all all of Trump's lawyers, but we're not seeing uh, the same accountability from these these Democrats who have clearly given their motivation in public. I agree with you completely. There's a, 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 a corrupt uh, and disgusting organization called Project 65, um, which is a group of hard left lawyers who are trying to bring bar complaints against any lawyer who has ever had anything to do with Trump uh, or with anybody who supports Trump. And they even filed a bar charge against me. I did nothing wrong at all. Um, But um, they're trying to get every possible lawyer uh, in trouble. And they've deterred lawyers. I have lawyers who said to me, you know, we were approached by the Trump team, but we don't want to get in trouble. And so Project 65 has in some ways succeeded in chilling lawyers from uh, activating uh, the Sixth Amendment uh, to the Constitution. And, uh, and and you're absolutely right. Uh, on the other side, uh, there hasn't been a, a, a need to hold um, people accountable for going beyond what prosecutors ought to be doing. You know, it was Justice Jackson, who was probably the greatest attorney general in our history, who once said that any prosecutor can rummage through statute books and find some technical crime to pin on almost anybody. You know, so today it's Donald Trump. Tomorrow it's a Democrat that could be the target. And the day after tomorrow, it could be your Uncle Charlie or your niece or your nephew. If prosecutors want to get somebody, they have all the ability to weaponize the criminal justice system. And that's why people like us have to fight back. That's why I wrote my book, Get Trump. And I think the best form of protest against what is happening in New York is, you know, go read my book and read the books of other people. Uh, who are protesting this, let them know that there's some accountability. That's why I write books, to hold people accountable, because you can't censor books. And uh, history will have to account for what is going on here, because this really violates the spirit of the Constitution. It does. And, and I really hope that uh, we as an American society um, not only hold these malicious prosecutors accountable, but uh, that history does look back on this era um, with disdain in terms of the specific political motivation to get Trump, as as your book says, Alan Dershowitz. And you mentioned the 65 Project. I mean, they're the ones that my listeners will know filed the complaint against me as well. And I did nothing wrong and, you know, ultimately ended up um, with a stipulation that uh, just allowed me to, to keep my bar license. And of course, then what happens after that is uh, the Democrats and the leftists and um, other than, of course, present company (laughs) of reasonable Democrats excluded from that, um, just try to, uh, but it's actually a nonpartisan or a bipartisan group. There are actually never Trump Republicans on there too. So I shouldn't just say Democrats. I should say all of the people who want to politically weaponize um, against Trump 
weaponized government against uh, Trump lawyers, you know, then they try to go and destroy our credibility. Um, because if they can't destroy us in our profession, which they've said, you know, this is the motivation openly, um, then they'll just say, okay, well, because, you know, you stipulated to this or just because a complaint was filed or whatever the reason, you know, then they'll go out and they'll attack you. And you've even personally experienced that as well with um, with disinvitations to various associations and this, uh, this kind of perception that any lawyer who would dare to represent Trump somehow is a bad lawyer, which I find mind boggling, especially in my home state of Colorado, that um, a lot of the defense bar there, and certainly not everyone, um, is even upset at my own lawyer for representing me. So it's like, how how far does this, how many degrees away from Trump do you have to get before you're finally somehow um, a lawyer of, in good standing as a defense lawyer? And this just goes against the fundamental notion that every single person, regardless of whether your name is Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump or Jeffrey Epstein or anybody else, you are entitled to competent representation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, in my book, Get Trump, I have a whole chapter on Project 65. I have a chapter on this McCarthyist attack on, on, on lawyers and, and it's, it's spreading and it, uh, you know, it, it spreads to social situations. My wife was working out at a gym and somebody looked at her and said, that's Alan Dershowitz's wife. We can't be in the same room with her. Or Caroline Kennedy, uh, President Kennedy's daughter, who's now the ambassador to Australia, was seated next to me at a dinner party. And she said, if I knew you had been invited, I wouldn't have come. Uh, this this is an attack on a man who represented her uncle, Ted Kennedy, who worked closely with her other uncle, Robert Kennedy. and uh, But she couldn't sit next to me because I had defended President Trump on the floor of the Senate. And, uh, and I defended the Constitution on his behalf. So... You know, it's it's a real attack on the on the Sixth Amendment, on the Constitution, and it's a return to, to McCarthyism. And uh, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, a liberal or conservative, you ought to be concerned about that. And I write about this whole attack extensively in my book at Trump, and um, I'm going to continue to write about it in columns and articles. I'm not going to be cowed by these uh, uh, McCarthyite threats because. You know, if they can get Donald Trump, if they can get you, if they can get me, they can get anybody. And that's why we have to stand tall and fight back. Absolutely. And we have to continue speaking truth. And in just the last about two minutes I have with you, Alan Dershowitz, and I really appreciate your perspective this morning. Um, where do you think all of this actually goes from here then in terms of the election and the upcoming battle between Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis? If uh, whether it's Alan Bragg or it's Fannie Willis in Fulton County or it's you know Jack Smith out of Washington, D.C., all of these different grand juries, if somebody does ultimately indict Trump or there's a trio of this, how does this practically affect his campaign moving forward? Do you think that he gets stronger or do you think that this actually hurts? him long term? Well, in my office, I have a mugshot picture of one of my favorite entertainers in history, Frank Sinatra, who I always have loved and always loved his songs. Um, Now, that will be the second most prominent mugshot. If Donald Trump is arraigned and he has made a mugshot, his mugshot will be his campaign poster. It will be the most popular t-shirt worn. It will be portrayed all over the world, um, and it will help Donald Trump um, uh, get elected. And uh, that's certainly not something that Bragg wants to see happen. It's not something Democrats want to see happen. And so they ought to understand this is going to backfire. They're going to make a martyr out of him if they indict him, particularly for something uh, that there's no basis uh, for, and there's no basis for the New York indictment. I don't think there's a basis for the Georgia indictment. He said he wanted to find. He didn't say he didn't say invent or concoct. Find. There's a dictionary definition of find. It means it's there. You have to just look hard for it. And what he was essentially saying was there may be 13,000 uncounted actual votes in my favor, and I want you to look hard and see if there are any. That's a perfectly legitimate request. Um, and I just don't think there's a basis for any prosecution. There is a basis for people having strong opinions both ways about Trump, that we ought to get the right to vote for him or, as I have done, against him. A hundred percent. 
Well, uh, well, my good friend Alan Dershowitz, really appreciate that. And we're so grateful that you are still advocating for the truth. You can get Alan Dershowitz's book, Get Trump, at Amazon or anywhere books are sold. We'll be right back with more. Did you know the abortion pill accounts for over 50% of all abortions? Preborn Ministry continues to stand with women in crisis in their darkest hour and bring hope and life. After Marissa took the abortion pill, she immediately regretted it, but Preborn was there for her. Look at that baby. Look how beautiful he is. Look at that. Abortion pill reversal actually works. Let's hear his heartbeat. By God's amazing grace, this baby was saved, but many more need our help. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives and sharing the heart of Jesus, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. This is Pause to Pray, a chance each day to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today, we pray for Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri. He is the state senior senator, as well as the former state attorney general. Matthew 5.16 reminds us of the qualities of a good leader. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Right now, with this in mind, let's pray together. Almighty God, We ask for guidance for Senator Josh Hawley as he represents the people of Missouri. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is the service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team, a nonprofit, nonpartisan ministry dedicated to encouraging prayer for our nation's leaders. To learn more, go to pausetopray.org. Hello, Americans. I'm Todd Starn. Stand by for news and commentary next. Liberty University's K-12 Online Academy is the best of a homeschool, private school, and Bible-based education all rolled into one. With LUOA, you can take charge of your child's learning environment and create a structured yet flexible schedule that works for your family. Our qualified teachers are easily accessible for guidance and support along the way. And with new classes starting every Monday, it's never too late to make the switch to LUOA. To learn more, text LUOA to 88741. That's LUOA to 88741. Students at the University of Virginia are getting a lesson from the body positivity crowd. Stephanie Brenhofer is a dietitian. She was delivering a guest lecture during an exercise and nutrition class. Students were told the word fat is inherently fat phobic. Ms. Brenhofer says people are not responsible for their weight. In other words, if you scarf down an entire carton of double stuff Oreos, it's not your fault, it's the Oreos. Ms. Brenhofer warned students they should avoid using words like overweight and obese. She also said it's unethical to tell people how they should lose weight. Sorry, Jenny Craig. Brenhofer says her philosophy on dieting is, and I quote, super liberating. So if your daily diet includes a bucket of fried chicken, buttermilk biscuits, and a tub of bluebell ice cream, well, it's not your fault. You're just big boned. I'm Todd Starnes. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Well, as America is continuing Indictment Watch 2023, as I'm calling it, uh, there is still a lot more going out uh, in the world and going on in the world. And that, of course, includes the looming primary contest uh, that is poised to be between primarily, uh, no pun intended, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. And so uh, Donald Trump does have this uh, way about him that he intentionally will try to suck up all of of the uh, media airtime and make it all about him. And if every single political commentator across the spectrum on every single radio network, television network is talking about him, good or bad, it's still talking about him. Um, So interestingly, uh, Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida currently, uh, who has not yet announced, decided to do an interview with Piers Morgan, who is uh, now on Fox News and has a show on Fox Nation, 
And uh, this is actually going to be aired tonight, but uh, Piers Morgan and the New York Post have uh, released some excerpts of this interview that really is the first time that Governor DeSantis has straightforwardly addressed um, Donald Trump and the possible primary contest. So uh, this is just one clip from uh, Pierce Morgan asking Ron DeSantis what he thinks about the nicknames from Donald Trump. This is cut five. Which is your favorite nickname that Trump's given you so far? Is it Ron Ron de Sanctimonious or Meatball Ron? <laughs> well, I can't. Uh, I think even he went off Meatball Ron. I, but. I can't. Uh, I don't know how to spell de Sanctimonious. I don't really know what it means, but I, you know, I kind of like. It's long. It's got a lot of vowels. I mean, so we go with that. That's fine. You know, you can call me. You can call me whatever you want. I mean, just as long as you, you know, also call me a winner, because that's what we've been able to do in Florida is put a lot of points on the board and and, and really take the state to the next level. I think this is a brilliant answer. I mean, unlike 2016, uh, you have Ron DeSantis kind of just brushing it off and laughing. And, and, you know, the implicated message there is, A, Trump is Trump, whatever, but I'm focused on the goals. So how is this really going to play with him? Um, So I want to bring in my good friend, John Cardillo, who is a former uh, NYPD and conservative commentator. And he and I uh, like to engage in the Twitter wars, of course, uh, during uh, the upcoming primary. And, you know, just uh, just point out some facts here. So, John, good morning. And, um, you know, I think that this interview is going to play very well for DeSantis. And even though Donald Trump has put on Truth Social, you know, uh, oh, I'm, uh, he's too busy, he's, he, Ron DeSantis is too busy chatting with ratings challenge TV host from England, desperately trying to rescue his failing campaign. Um, I actually think that this is going to play very well for Ron DeSantis because like the haters hated the Jimmy Fallon infamous interview of Trump in 2016, when it was so personal, it was so engaging and people started loving Trump's personality. Um, It was a good interview. And from what I've seen, I think this uh, interview with Piers Morgan will play the same way. Yeah, well, good morning, Jenna. Good to be with you. You know, I agree with you. And I and I think part of the problem is that people like you and I and a lot of people we interface with spend a lot of time on social media, right? Especially Twitter. Twitter is really the go to for media, uh, you know, political insiders, et cetera. It's rapid. It's, uh, the information is coming fast and furiously from a lot of good sources. But it's not the real world. And when you talk to people in the real world, even anecdotally, you start talking to a lot of them, you start to realize that the sentiment is much different. And what, what that means is that uh, there are a lot of people uh, in media, on the political consulting side from our side of the world who are like, oh, my God, how could the Sanders do this interview with Piers Morgan? Piers Morgan's this leftist and yada, yada, yada. But that's not what uh, I believe the calculation was in this. The Santis is is looking at things in terms of general election. Now, he still hasn't announced, and, and nobody really knows if he will. I mean, but it, it sure looks like he's going to. So I think it's safe to run on the premise that he will be a primary candidate. He's he's looking toward general election, and where I think Trump is miscalculating, Trump, his consultants, his uh, inside comms advisors, all of their messaging is geared to the furthest right faction in the base, and it'll win a primary, but it will be quick tonight in a general election. The Santas is really messaging to the independents, the non-party affiliated, the moderates, who you need to win. But once you make that call, if you or I were to put out a tweet saying. Any GOP candidate needs an independent, a moderate, and a non-party affiliated voter to win or voters to win. Oh, we're going to be called rhino, globalist, closet Democrats. Like, you can't even honestly analyze anymore. And so I think that in the, in the bigger, uh, in the grand scheme of things, the Morgan interview, yeah, can be a positive. Yeah, and I'm talking with John Cardillo, who is a conservative commentator. And um, yeah, and John, I, I completely agree with you that DeSantis is focusing on the on the general, and I think he is messaging very precisely. And uh, so, what do you make of some of these uh, attacks from the Trump camp? Whether they're paid influencers, whether they're just hardcore Trumpers, and they maybe want to be noticed uh, by Trump, or they just feel like you know this is their position, which of course they're allowed to do on Twitter. Um, 
Um, but with some of these things that are genuinely credibly false, like suggesting that, I mean, the, and the big attack right now from, from the Trump base is that <clears throat> somehow George Soros endorsed Ron DeSantis, which of course is completely false. If you look at the clip, it was George Soros saying that if Ron DeSantis wins the primary, then he will be a much more formidable candidate in the general. And so anyone who actually looks at that is going to say, well, wait a minute, that's a false attack. And isn't uh, the base of Trump, I mean, aren't, haven't they for years been saying, oh, stop with the false attacks against Trump? And now they're just doing the same thing. Yeah, and I mean, it's ridiculous. If you listen to what Soros actually said, he called DeSantis ruthless. And this comes after DeSantis removed a Soros-funded Soros-backed prosecutor on the West Coast of Florida and has another under investigation. So I thought it was moronic, actually, Jenna. You hear people say, oh, my God, Soros was complimenting DeSantis. No, he called the guy who took out one of his prosecutors and is probably going to take out another one ruthless. That's not a compliment. That's not an endorsement. <laughs> That's an admission that, to use your word, hey, this guy's going to be a formidable opponent. We better take notice. Right. And 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 so I just think that this is going to end up, um, as you and I have talked about, John, backfiring against the base. And so, you know, let's talk, though, about the um, the candidacy so far. Uh, and of course, Ron DeSantis hasn't announced, but this interview is coming tonight um, between him and Donald Trump and some of the differences. And and I want you to react to this other clip from uh, Piers Morgan asking DeSantis how he is different than Trump. I thought this was really interesting and insightful. This is cut six. People have been quite kind of scathing. They've said your house trained Donald, your diet coke to his <laughs> full coke. Right. You've heard all this stuff. What are the differences between you? Well, I know what I, I know him very well. I'm having now spent time with you. I, I could immediately identify a few differences. But what do you think of the differences? Well, I mean, I think there's a few things. I mean, obviously, you know, the, the approach to COVID w was different. I mean, you know, I would have fired somebody like Fauci. Uh, I think that he got way too big for his britches, and I think he did a lot of damage. Uh, I also think just in terms of my approach to leadership, you know, I get personnel in the government who have the agenda of the people and share our agenda. If you bring your own agenda in, you're gone. We're just not gonna have that. So the way we run the government, I think, is no daily drama, focus on the big picture, and put points on the board. And I think that that's something that's very important. So, John, he immediately, uh, Ron DeSantis, goes after, I think, two of the weak spots with Donald Trump, which are Fauci and COVID and personnel. Yeah, I mean, that's the key, right? I mean, because those are Trump's Achilles heels. And it, it, it's exacerbated by the fact, and again, Jenna, I like Donald Trump. I think he had great foreign policy. People are telling me because I'm being critical and because I've been lately more supportive of the Senate that I never liked Trump, that I was a plant. No, that's not it at all. <laughs> but also an honest broker. And Trump was probably the worst president we've ever had on with regards to personnel, right? He was one of the best I've ever seen in my life, not the best with regards to foreign policy. But his personnel acumen was horrible, exacerbated by the fact that his own tagline was only the very best people, when in reality, he had brought in some of the worst, most backstabbing people. So for me at this point, it's really about, you know, let's look to somebody who is running an incredibly tight ship. I know the governor, I know his team, I mean, there are no leaks. There's never drama. I know them personally. The team gets along. There's no backstabbing. He's really selective and very hands-on with who he hires. I was talking to one of his senior people yesterday who told me the governor personally interviewed them for about an hour and a half. He's, he's a very hands-on guy, and I think his micromanagement approach to personalities is paying dividends because he's not having any of the problems Trump had. Yeah, and, and I'm talking with John Cardio, who is a, a conservative commentator, former NYPD. And, you know, th this is setting up to be such an interesting primary, I think, um, because you mentioned, John, that because you have 
uh, talked openly on uh, social media as well as interviews like this one and others um, that favorably of DeSantis, even though you have supported Trump, um, you still support the good things. In fact, uh, Donald Trump quote tweeted something you said about the indictment on Truth Social just the other day, um, which I think a lot of the base was infuriated by because they were like, oh, my gosh, this guy that we've been calling a rhino and a traitor and, you know, all these other stuff. Um, Now Trump is going and actually uh, saying, hey, look at what he has to say. That's great. So um, so, you know, I I think this is such a fascinating discussion and where um, I want I I want everyone who's listening to, to pay attention to what is actually being said in terms of the substance of the allegations from the MAGA base against DeSantis and his current supporters, or even anyone like you and I that are calling a spade a spade. I mean, obviously, I loved and supported Donald Trump. I voted for him twice. I worked for the man. I've represented him. I've taken personal hits um, for him. But I also like Ron DeSantis. And those two things can't, they're not mutually exclusive. And yet the same thing, I mean, I'm being called a rhino and a traitor and, oh, you know, you were just a deep state plant and um, never really were on Trump's team. And I'm thinking, wow, this is just you know, so incredible just because I say yeah. something good. And, and it reminds me, John, of the logical fallacy, the no true Scotsman or this like appeal to purity. That's an in- informal fallacy that says like, oh, you're not really a, in this instance, MAGA, if you don't just 100% Donald Trump uh, fan base everything. And how how should we be looking at this as this conversation? And I think the dynamic is going to get even more tense and fiery uh, down the road. Yeah, well, look, you know, I, I've said this now multiple times, right? Ad nauseum on Twitter. I can both support Ron DeSantis as the best option for the country in 2024, while at the same time, vehemently, with all my experience, having all my sources in New York law enforcement, dig into the sham investigations against Donald Trump and vehemently defend him against not just those allegations, but this weaponized, uh, this trend of weaponized far-left prosecutors who weaponize their offices against political opponents. But you're right, if you say that, you're a rhino loser, this, that, the other Democrat, liberal, Soros-backed, Jeb Bush-loving. It's crazy. And I'm going to say it, and I say it on Twitter, and people get mad at me. It's cult-like behavior, because unless you worship at the altar of Donald Trump, you are insulted, abused. I mean, it's, it's crazy behavior. The founding fathers would be rolling in their graves. The real intent of the First Amendment was to be able to critique politicians— right, in the public square, without being attacked and insulted and ridiculed and, and threatened. Critiquing Donald Trump's personnel problems is honest analysis. Critiquing uh, the fact that maybe the electorate, after three years of COVID hell and, and now these, these, you know, insane, these draconian interest rates, not being able to get mortgages, not being able to buy vehicles, to, uh, you know, say that maybe the, the America is, is over the personal attacks, maybe they're over the Trump statements, the name calling. We just want serious leadership that's going to bring the country back to where it was, to peace and prosperity. It, it, it's ridiculous that you can't make these analyses, right? And you can't say, okay, maybe there's a better option. Maybe Trump's turning people off. So I think it's a very dangerous place to be. When supporters of any politician start treating that politician like a deity or a cult leader, and I'm sorry, but I am seeing that from from a lot of Trump's hardcore base. Yeah, and and I think the adults in the room and the adult voters, and especially those categories that we talked about earlier, John, uh, of the independents, the moderates, and some and you know some of these um, more uh, older GOPs are really sick and tired of all of the name calling. So um, so in that vein, though, what was your analysis of DeSantis taking what the Trump base took as a horrible insult? I didn't think it was honestly, you know, especially comparatively to what Trump says that bad. Um, and, and we only have about a minute left here. But what did you make of DeSantis's comments when he responded to the reporter saying, um, that, well, you know, I don't know what goes into paying hush money to a porn star, um, you know, and, and there's kind of some laughter. Was that a good move for him? I think it 
was net neutral. It's not hurting him. I mean, Trump was attacking the guy night and day. Trump's surrogates started to go after DeSantis' wife. So I think in the grand scheme, it was pretty mild uh, with real no net political impact either way. Yeah, well, John, I really appreciate your perspectives. John Cardillo, you can follow him on social media and get all of the hot takes. And he pushes back against uh, all of the people who are just, you know, saying a lot of false attacks. So always appreciate uh, his commentary. Um, So thanks so much, John. And, you know, I think that Piers Morgan actually said it incredibly well in the interview that where it went wrong for DeSantis and his relationship with Donald Trump is he just became too popular. And that's really what it's all about, because if somebody else starts uh, talking about themselves and not just Donald Trump, well, that's going to get you in trouble. So uh, it'll it will remain to be seen. But we will be right back with more here on Jenna Ellis in the morning to talk about Indictment Watch and some other headlines. We'll be right back. By today's standards, King Solomon's wisdom is often counterintuitive, but it's still relevant to our lives today because really, it's not man's wisdom, it's God's wisdom. This week on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress consults Solomon's surprising counsel on topics like practicing humility and watching what you say. Listen all this week to Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress. Weekday mornings at 6 Central on American Family Radio. The purpose of government is to secure God-given or inalienable rights to man. America's premier historian, David Barton. John Dickinson, who's also a signer of the Constitution, he said, an inalienable right is a right which God gave to you and which no inferior power has a right to take away. Wall Builders Live captures the ideas of the Founding Fathers and then applies those ideas to the issues of today. Sunday morning at 1130 Central on American Family Radio. You shall build a house, but you will not live in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you will not use its fruit. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. The capital city of the United States of America has now joined jurisdictions in at least five states across the country in allowing non-citizens to vote in local elections. Five states allow non-citizen voting in local elections for municipal offices or school board. Those states are California, Illinois, Maryland, New York, and Vermont. Now, D.C. joins them. When foreign nationals who have no stake in our nation's future are allowed to vote, it undermines the importance of citizenship. It's almost as if that's the true goal. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for the Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Here are Tim and Riley Wildman for the AFA Foundation. Riley, what is your title? The director of AFA Foundation. One of the best ways you can have income for the rest of your life and know that uh, you will be supporting the ministry of American Family Association is to... To give a gift to American Family Association and American Family Radio. Do you also deal with people who want to leave AFA in their wills? Yes, sir. That's exactly why they call. And that's why we also have another option besides a charitable gift annuity. People sometimes also call and do an outright gift or also leave us in their will. Now, when anyone calls in and asks to talk to you, ladies, will all of them talk in a Southern accent like you do? Yes, they will. Call Riley Wildman at the AFA Foundation, 800-326-4543, extension 345, or visit afafoundation.net. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Uh, huge breaking news last night. If you have not seen this yet, the Arizona Supreme Court sends an essential part of the Cary Lake election lawsuit back to the trial court. That was the headline from the Gateway Pundit. And uh, of course, you know, the Arizona Supreme Court uh, was the latest to look at the election challenges from Cary Lake in her uh, gubernatorial uh, loss, which of course she is suggesting that she didn't actually lose and is filing election challenges. 
And uh, her lawyers are going through the same thing, by the way, that uh, Alan Dershowitz and I discussed at the very beginning of this program uh, with bar complaints and kind of this weaponization of uh, government. And, you know, and listen, she has the right to file challenges and she has the right to competent counsel. And, um, you know, it's, it's absolutely disgusting to me that somehow uh, election integrity related lawsuits are literally the only thing that Republicans only can't litigate in a court context. Um, but this is, you know, Carrie Lake is moving forward anyway. And so the Arizona Supreme Court uh, issued a new order on Wednesday. And this was only a partial victory for her because out of the, uh, I believe, eight complaints um, and, and allegations and claims that she appealed, only one of them actually survived. So uh, the Arizona Supreme Court dismissed all of the others, but uh, they said this, quote, it is further ordered granting review of issue number six to the uh, to the extent count three of the complaint challenges the Maricopa County Recorder's application of signature verification policies during the election. Issue number six asks, did the panel err in dismissing the signature verification claim on the doctrine of latches, um, which is basically, you know, you waited too long to bring this and it um, it inversely prejudiced the uh, the opponent. And so you can't bring a claim. So did that? Did the panel err in dismissing the signature verification claim, mischaracterizing Lake's claim as a challenge to existing signature verification policies when Lake, in fact, alleged that Maricopa failed to follow these? So joining me now uh, for reaction is Hogan Gidley, who is the vice chair of the Center for Election Integrity. So Hogan, your reaction um, to this uh, this, I think, remarkable order that I certainly wasn't anticipating out of Arizona. I, I kind of thought they would go along with everything and, you know, dismiss this wholesale. I did too, Jenna. And thanks for having me this morning. I always appreciate the time. Um, look, this is clearly a mess. And what's fascinating to me is there may be simple answers for all of our questions. There may be, but I've not heard any of them. I, I can't get anyone to tell me why the you know, the, we took a look at the top 100 most populated counties in the country in 14 swing states, and we asked, why don't the number of voters who voted match the number of ballots that were counted in these counties and precincts? They don't match anywhere, and they don't keep any data. And if, you know, you called me and said, hey, look, there's a guy named Mike who runs the elections over in Maricopa County, and he fell asleep you know, for an hour and took a nap, and someone came in and accidentally mixed up the ballots or – printed the wrong size or didn't look at the signature verification, whatever it may be, that's fine. It's not a good excuse, but give me something. They can't tell us anything. And I think it stems from the whole problem of what the left hates more than anything is transparency. So whether it's teaching our kids critical race theory to hate America, whether it's trying to trans our kindergartners, or whether it's election integrity, they don't want you to see behind the curtain. They don't want you to ask questions, and if you do, you're censored, you're silenced, you're shut down, you're shadow banned, um, and, and you're called crazy. Remember, in 2016, it was your patriotic duty, Jenna, to question the election. And if you didn't, you were a Russian stooge. You were a cat's paw for Vladimir Putin. Now, if you ask a question like, hey, how come someone said they voted in my name, but I've not been here to vote yet, then you're an election denier. We can't be in a country where this is the norm. We have to be able to ask questions in a free republic, and that's what we are. And it's getting increasingly difficult. Kudos to Carrie Lake to continuing this fight to try and expose what's going on over there. And I don't know that she and her team fully know what's happening, but they're asking questions. And if it has to go through the courts, it has to go through the courts. But I'm really excited to see um, you know, the system kind of saying, all right, we see some evidence. We're quite confused as to to why we got here. Let's try and figure it out. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. And, and Hogan Gidley, um, who is the vice chair for the Center of Election Integrity, you raise a really good point that the the left and these kind of gatekeepers of the elite in government don't want us to see anything and don't want us to ask questions on a variety of issues. I mean, looking at what's being uncovered in Congress with the weaponization of government and the report that was just issued by Jim Jordan's team saying that they were targeting, uh, the, the left was targeting parents just for asking questions of what's going on in 
their own kids' schools. I mean, this isn't sure. just related to election integrity. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm concerned for uh, Carrie Lake's lawsuits in the sense, and I've and I've said this very openly. And of course, you know, I'm the rhino hater, whatever, to to even question the questioning that you know if the the setup like what i thought the trial court was doing to her which you know they dismissed all of her claims initially um other than the two that required intent and so that was in my view and i said this on my podcast um at the jenna and you can go back and listen to this back in december the week of her trial um i said you know i think the trial court is is setting her up to fail so that then we'll have to go through this whole appellate process so i hope that the arizona supreme court is not doing this now because what they're suggesting though is that the signature verification, yeah, let's look at it, but is this, as the left always tries to pin on it, is this an outcome-changing administration error? And Carrie Lake uh, lost by a little over 17,000 votes, which, you know, isn't a super small margin. And so, um, you know, I just I don't particularly think, though, that the outcome should necessarily matter to the questions of are are our election officials actually following the law? No, you hit on a good point. Um, And uh, we get this pushback all the time, which is, well, you know, there's not enough systemic fraud, for example, like as a blanket statement. Well, how much fraud's okay? One vote? A hundred votes, a thousand votes, ten thousand votes, that type of thing. So I, I get your your overall premise here, which is I, I don't know how good her case is, one way or the other. But the outcome changing is not even the point, in my estimation. Although if the outcome changes, the outcome changes. It'd be a fascinating debate over constitutional law in the state of Arizona and other places. But the fact is, some people's votes weren't counted properly. And, and that's a problem. And if someone votes instead of someone else uh, and says, Jenna Ellis, I voted at 10 o'clock in the morning. No, I'm Jenna Ellis, and no one's providing IDs or anything like that. That's theft. I mean, someone's stealing your vote, someone's stealing your voice. It's a real problem, and I don't care if it happens to one person or a million people. we got to find out why that happens. And, and the real issue, of course, is when these states don't keep data, they don't keep clean voter rolls, they're not accurate. Then, of course, the question becomes um, – why don't you keep it? And, and, and if there's a systemic failure that one voice, one vote, one person, counted only once, um, isn't held to, it's a failure. And we've got to figure out a way to make it better. And, and again, regardless of the, the standing she has, regardless of the evidence she has, asking the questions should not be reason or rationale for cancellation. We still, yeah, uh- we still should ask these questions. Oh, a hundred percent. And I'm talking with Hogan Gidley, who's the vice chair of the Center for Election Integrity. And you know, this is the same thing um, that I told a committee of uh, in my home state of Colorado in the aftermath of the 2020 election, just saying, you know, hey, look at the system. I mean, because Colorado since um, 2012 has had universal vote by mail and there are issues with that system and yet you know the democrats on the panel were just horrified because this means that you're saying that our you know our elections are corrupt and i said isn't it possible that you could just do better i mean do shouldn't you want to always make sure that there are safeguards shouldn't you want audits i mean but but this just goes back hogan gidley to this whole idea from the left of the weaponization of government that they use political power not to serve the American people and not to actually do the business of governing, but to use that power in a way for their own outcome motivated purposes. And um, you and I are are both uh, familiar with the the, um, America First policy organization. And I wanted your reaction on this statement from the anticipated weaponization of government by state prosecutors in New York, of course, going back to indictment watch. And uh, Brooke Rollins, who is the president and CEO of the America First Policy Institute, said this, the weaponization of government is dangerous, wrong and un-American. The elitist regime and its agents in the media have consistently, without shame, utilized a two-tiered justice system to persecute anyone who attends the wrong protest, says or 
believes the wrong thing, donates to the wrong cause, or threatens their power. Now they've concocted another politically motivated, legally suspect attack to smear a political opponent and interfere with an election, which I agree with that 100%. But the America First movement cannot and will not be slowed down. We are a free people endowed by God with certain unalienable rights, and that is true for every single American citizen, regardless of stature or status. Your thoughts? Yeah, she's absolutely right. And of course, in full disclosure, I do work at America First, but uh, in anticipation of this um, this um, uh, potential indictment, as you know, um, and let me just say, if there is a mugshot, I want to be on the record right now, Jenna, it's going to be the most handsome, most masculine <laughs> mugshot in the history of all mugshots. Many people are saying, I just want to be on the record saying that. Um, but no, in all seriousness, That'll be the, the clip. weaponization, <laughs> I know, I know, the, um, the weaponization of, of of these three-letter agencies, of the government, of the justice system against folks who who just simply decide to go to the wrong protest or or go to the wrong um, you know speech or take the wrong viewpoint. I mean, and it's not just um, two-tiered for politicians. I mean, look, Barack Obama, Jeb Bush, Hillary Clinton all got popped with campaign violations and had to pay fines. They didn't get felonies, so that's different. You see. How many people have we talked about in the last little bit, that father who got arrested for protesting outside of, 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 um, of an abortion clinic, for example? He gets arrested. Um, so many others out there, parents at school boards asking questions about CRT, they get arrested. Why is that? They're called domestic terrorists. And instead of focusing on you know, the issues in New York, for example, that the people of New York care about, the spikes in crime, uh, rapes, murders, burglaries, um, uh, robberies, et cetera, he says, I'm going to spend my time, your tax dollars, on going after somebody that by all legal expert accounts is, is a pathetic charge. You know, forget the statute of limitations for a moment that's gone past. Forget the fact that I have to rely on Michael Cohen, who is a convicted felon and a liar in his own right, committed lying to Congress. The political fallout of this is going to be positive for the former president, at least in the short term. But in large measure, what they've done with these attacks over the years on Russia, 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 which wasn't true, the first and second impeachment, and now, of course, something like this, the Mar-a-Lago rated this, it's just to smear his name and to hurt chances for his political uh, aspirations. And that, to me, is the most egregious part of this whole thing. To see now what the government has been doing behind closed doors against private citizens, there is no excuse for that. It is un-American. Brooke is absolutely right. And the word there is dangerous, and it is. We can't live in a country like that. Absolutely. And and I think people are increasingly horrified at the, the weaponization of government um, that continues to be leveled, not just against someone like Donald Trump. And, you know, if they can... Uh, level their shotgun blast against him, then of course they can do it to anybody else, but they are doing it to other people and people who don't have the resources and the platform and the, you know, 100% name ID that right. Donald Trump has. And and so, you know, as um, AFPI is, is talking about um, fighting back and pushing back, you know, a lot of the left is saying, oh, well, you know, Trump uses this this rhetoric that is, uh, you know, promoting violence when he says protest, protest, protest. And I'm thinking, well, that's that's literally in our First Amendment, the right to protest. Right. And we can right. we can fight back. And of course, that's that's language to mean we aren't just going to sit back here and be like, oh, sure, you know, come and tell me I can't even ask questions about curriculum in schools, you know. But what what is AFPI doing and encouraging other people to do in, instead of just sitting back and saying you know, we're losing our country? I think a lot of people feel very helpless. They do. But I will say if there's one silver lining because of COVID, and I'm actually at a AFPI event right now about national security here at the Army-Navy Club in, in D.C. Um, so if you hear people walking by, that's what they're doing. They're, we're talking about national security. But if there's one thing COVID gave us, it was really kind of a, a – and it's okay to get involved because as people started to see what happened at the school board level, now you see people getting involved at the local level. And Mike Huckabee used to tell me all the time, the more local the government, the easier it is to effectuate change. He's right. So if people out there are frustrated, if they're angry, start locally. Take a look at some of those school boards. If you want to run for office, great. Talk about your city councils. Get on there. Talk about you know the issues that, that secure our, our, our children's future and, and that of generations to come. Talk about the issues that put the American people first and make sure at the local level you begin to implement those policies. And people will see 
um, you know, the, the positivity behind that. We did that at the federal level in the Trump administration. Uh, but at the local level, that's what you want to do because that's the easiest way to get involved. And it's the easiest way to put policies in place that improve people's lives. Yeah, really well said. Always appreciate your perspectives. And um, thank you so much for your fight for America and for this country. Um, Hogan Gidley, good friend and uh, you know fellow Team Trumper uh, when he was in the White House. Always appreciate your <laughs> comments. So thanks so much and uh, have a great time there. Tell everybody I said hi. So, all right. So we're going to continue on this show to be on Indictment Watch 2023. If you missed any of the uh, show this morning, especially the comments from Alan Dershowitz, you can go to AFR.net, listen to the podcast version. You can also write in, tell us what you think, what you'd like us to cover on this show show at jenna at afr.net make it a great day and i will see you tomorrow morning the views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the american family association or american family radio